You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good morning, Midtown. Yeah, grab your seats. Really glad to be with you this morning. I'm excited to jump into this passage, uh, these great words uh, of Jesus. But before we do, uh, let me introduce myself because I do see several new faces. So welcome. I'm really glad you're here. My name is Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown. I would love to meet you. I hope that you already greeted warmly. I trust that you have been, but I'd love to meet you too. So we're really glad that you're here. I want you to know that we aim to be a church that welcomes everybody no matter where they're at in their spiritual journey. So again, we're, we're really glad that you're here. And we're going to continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is uh, Jesus' most famous sermon, most famous sermon. Some call it like the Kingdom Manifesto, where he's describing like what it is like for us to live as citizens of the kingdom. And he's also, in a really unique way, he's kind of crit- critically looking at both the cultural way that people are thinking about their faith and the cultural way that they're adapting their religion and how they're living their lives. And he's pointing out many different things in ways that they are off base, and they're not living as they ought to in the kingdom. And so we're looking at this whole passage during this time, and really what Jesus is speaking about what it looks like to live in the kingdom, both as we relate to God and to each other, and really to the culture um, at large. And if you were here with us last week, you know we started chapter 6, and chapter 6 is all about talking about motives, the motives that we have in worship. And they go through three little things where Jesus talks about motive in giving, in prayer, and in fasting. And so today, even though it's the end of our fast, we're not doing the fasting one, we're doing the prayer one, because that's the next one in succession. Jesus is going to talk about the motives in prayer. And so just to kind of bring us back, if you weren't here last week, I want to read the very first verse in this section of the scripture in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6, 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Like Jake said last week, this whole part of this sermon starts with a warning. He's saying, be careful. Be careful. There's danger ahead. And what the danger is, is that you, in your religion, what you can do is you can begin to practice the spiritual disciplines and act out your faith in a way that's actually focused more on you. You've lost sight of God, and you've lost sight of what you're really pursuing in true devotion and love for God. And instead, you practice these very things with an eye toward yourself to see what others think about you. This is very true that we can all get sideways in the pursuit of our faith, all get sideways as we try to walk with Christ when we actually start to become worried more about what other people think about us or we think that we, by our doing our acts, actually get our approval from God by practicing these disciplines. That's the warning. Those are the tracks that we can go off even as we're trying to practice disciplines. We can do it for the approval of others or we can do it to try to seek God's approval. And so that's really the main essence of this whole passage that we're talking about in giving last week and today in prayer, and then tomorrow or next week we'll look at it in regard uh, to fasting. But before we look at this uh, teaching, I want to point out the very first words that Jesus says. He says this in in, in verse 5, and when you pray, dot, dot, dot. So it's kind of an assumption there, right? When you pray, like, yes, you ought to be praying. Yes, we ought to be praying, but, but how? And how not to be praying is what we're going to look at today. What strikes you about that, though? Let me just ask you, like, when do you pray? When do you pray? Do you, do you pray before bed? Do you pray before meals? Do you consider yourself one that prays all the time throughout the day? Or do you just pray when there's a crisis in your life? Or do you pray, um, like, at a set time? 
I hope that as we've been doing this fast and you've been walking through the devotional, that maybe you've actually started to set aside some time to, to be specifically set aside just to pray. That's, that's wonderful. And Jesus would say this is part of walking in God's ways, walking in the kingdom, is that we make time to pray. But let me ask you another question, because this is what I, I feel like is always a given when you talk on prayer. How many of you feel like you ought to be praying more or wish that you were praying better? Hands, everyone's up. Hey, we can start a wave. Let's just, ah, yeah, let's all do it. That's kind of my assumption, right? Every time you teach on prayer, I always come in with the assumption is that we all wish that we were praying more, and we all wish that we were praying better or more fulfilling prayer lives. And so that's why, in one way, it's kind of hard to talk about prayer because you, like, when you're teaching on it, you know everyone feels that way to start with, including myself. And so what I want to do today, though, and I think that what it really does um, in this passage that Jesus does is he doesn't heap upon guilt, there's a way sometimes when we can talk about how we ought to be praying more and we ought to, we wish we could be praying better, and it, and it can just heap more guilt. And guilt sometimes and conviction actually can motivate us, but I think there's something far greater that can motivate us in this area of prayer, and it's not the guilt that we all feel wishing that we prayed more, that we prayed better. And we're going to talk about that today. I think that's what Jesus really emphasizes in this passage. There's such a great thing that we can be motivated by, and that thing is the reward. It's the reward that we get by making time to spend time with God. Now, if you're a note taker this morning, there's going to be three main points. There's going to be how not to pray, how to pray, and then we'll close by talking about why to pray. So Jesus is going to draw two illustrations about don't pray this way, instead pray this way. Don't pray this way, instead pray this way. And I think implicit within that, we're going to discover together there's actually some, some, something that he's teaching about why we should pray in the first place. So ready to go with me? Let's, let's do it. Matthew, or Matthew 5, or 6, verse 5. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. So first, Jesus teaches here about prayer is that we don't want to pray like the hypocrites. And if you were here last week, you heard that Jake really said that this word in hypocrite was a little bit different in the way that they used it in their day. It really just meant like an actor or like one who wears a mask. So he's saying, don't pray like a fake person. Don't make prayer a theatrical experience. He's going to teach us then to pray in a different way. And this is kind of Jesus, we're going to see in the next one, it's a little bit different. He's critiquing the culture, but this time specifically, he's actually critiquing the religious culture. He's pointing to the Judaism and the faith and the way that they practice their prayers, and he's, he's culturally critiquing, like, you guys have been praying this way. I'm going to teach you a different way to pray. And the two things that he points out is the, the means of prayer and their motives of prayer. Their means of prayer were to pray publicly to stand in the synagogue, so in the, in the religious spaces, even then to stand on the streets in the marketplaces, that this is where they would perform and they do their loud prayers and try to draw attention to themselves. The means was public. Everything was public. And then what was the motive? The motive was that they would be seen by others. In a very real sense, as much as they're praying and talking to God, they're actually thinking about themselves and what others are thinking about them. It's almost like they're praying, not maybe to themselves, but they're praying for themselves. Wrong means, wrong motive. And for them, he says that you're going to get the reward. You're going to get the reward that you want. Like if you're praying in a way to try to get the reward of other people's approval, then good, you, you, get, you can have it. But there's a much greater reward that Jesus is going to point to when he's talking to them ne next about how they should pray. So don't pray like the hypocrites. But how should you pray? The very next verse. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret, he will reward you. So in contrast, Jesus is saying, don't pray publicly, but instead pray in a secret place. Pray secretly. 
Go into a room, close the door. Just get with God yourself. There's a different means and there's a different motive here. The means is to actually go into the secret place. Pray privately, develop a personal private prayer life. And then the reward, the motive now, is to receive reward from God. I'm going to circle back to what that reward is here at the end, so I'm not going to focus a lot on it right now, but you see the difference between the two kind of prayers? Hypocrites, public, motive to be seen by others. But why we ought to pray in the kingdom is in the secret place. That's our means, and our motive is to get reward from God, not reward for ourselves. Now, let me pause for just a second, because I tried to think this week like... uh, Their religious culture that Jesus is critiquing is a little bit different from ours. I don't think that we have many opportunities to to pray in a a religious space like this. You know, we do prayers on a Sunday, but not maybe like the way that they did it, where they would have a daily prayers like this. And I don't think that many of us ever stand in the marketplace in the middle of our workplace and, and pray a big prayer. And at the very least, if you do those things... You're not doing them to get the approval from others. You're going to get the scorn of others, right? <laughs> Even in the religious setting, if I was here to pray like a really, you know, uh, pompous prayer, you guys would be like, that's weird. <laughs> like, I don't like that. I don't like him. <laughs> so, right? And so we don't get the reward that they got in their day for doing such things. So I started asking the question, like, well, how do we do this? Like, how do we do this in our day? Maybe it's not this public type of prayer, but it's just other things that we do in public because within our Christian culture, just like their Hebrew culture, We can do the same thing in many different ways, I believe. Within our Christian culture, we're tempted to look for the approval of others, but I think that we do it in different ways. Usually, we reward people, too, for the exact same things. We reward people for the outside things that we see them doing without really even considering where their heart is coming from. For instance, in our culture, you might get rewarded for being seen by your roommates as getting up early to have your quiet time before them. Or maybe you have a little bit more scripture memorized than, than your peers. Or, you know, when they tell you to turn to a book of the Bible, you know, you know how to get there the faster. Or you're really good at playing an instrument. Or you, you've got a great voice and can lead worship. Or you're a really good teacher. Uh, you arrive early or you stay late. You, you serve. You're faithful in your attendance. All these things, I think, are the ways that we can be prone to do this. None of those are wrong in of themselves. They're great. They're, they're great. There's things that we should be doing. But we can do the same thing with an eye for others Rather than seeking God as a reward, we can look to others to give us their approval, and that's our reward. I found it super ironic that I was studying this passage uh, because of something I'm doing in my own personal practice right now. I, I've uh, written journals since I came to faith back in 1988, and so every like five, sometimes ten years, I'll literally get all the journals out, and as part of my quiet time, I'll just like read, you know, read my old journals. I do it, you know, really just to kind of remember how God's been faithful. Uh, sadly, I read it sometimes, I'm like, oh my gosh, I still struggle with that. Why? It's been 30 years, what's happening? Other times you can look and say, man, I really grew a lot since then. That's neat to see God's work in my life. All of that happens for sure. But this week was hilarious. I'm studying this passage, getting ready to teach it, and I read a journal entry that takes me back to 1992, my sophomore year at UT. And I wrote about how mad I was at myself that I, asked, that I slept in one morning instead of getting up to have my quiet time. But the hard part was the reason why I was upset with myself was because I was at the Campus Crusade for Christ Winter Conference. And I I prided myself on on getting up early and having a quiet time. And I would actually get up, have a quiet time, and I would would plop myself right down in the chairs right at the bottom of the elevator (laughs) because that was my secret place of prayer. (laughs) It's terrible. And I was so mad that I didn't get up to display my righteousness before other people in a secret place of prayer down by the elevators. <laughs> Thankfully, 
This was one where I looked at it and was like, oh, yeah, thank, thank God I've kind of improved in that area of my life. But um, there's others that I haven't. And, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm actually really happy that the, the guys who discipled me when I first came to faith, they, they talked to me about spending time with God and how to pray and the importance of getting up early to pray. I don't, I don't regret any of that. But I also look back and I say within that, there was also kind of a, a layer that I knew that if I did these things, these are the things where we, this is how we're rewarded. Like people will look at me differently when I do these things. And that was good that we can do exactly what Jesus is talking about right here. We're really doing our righteousness before other people. I'm really thankful, though, that uh, through the same campus ministry that I was a part of years later, I heard a guy give a quote that stuck with me for, for the rest of my life, and, and it really describes what I think Jesus means here. He says, if the majority of your Christian life is what people see in public, then you're merely imitating what you think a Christian should be. I remember hearing that going, oh, dang, <laughs> I got some things to change, because if, if the majority of my Christian life is just what people see in public, and there's nothing private that's undergirding man, then I'm just imitating what I think a Christian should be and what a Christian should be doing. You know what that means? I'm a hypocrite, right? You're putting on a mask. You're an actor. You're, you're theatrics with your disciplines. You're doing this before other people and not doing it before God. I believe that's the heart of what Jesus is trying to get at. I don't think he's saying literally the only way that you can pray is that you can go into a secret closet and pray. He's getting at the heart of things because we know that's not true because Jesus prayed publicly. If you read the book of Acts, the, the church that started the whole movement of this kingdom prayed together. I would say the subtitle of Acts should be like things that Jesus did, or things that the Holy Spirit did after people prayed together. Like that's really just kind of just follow. That's the subtitle. So he's not saying literally you cannot pray publicly. You cannot pray in groups. He's saying examine your heart. He's looking at that religious culture, and he's very much saying what I just said. If the majority of your Christian life is what people see in public, guys, you're merely imitating what you think a Christian should be. You're pretending you're a hypocrite. So I want to challenge us just to hold that conviction and realize the importance of developing a personal prayer life and a personal time with God so that this you know, Sunday morning or the NCs that you're a part of, if that's the bulk of your attention that you give to God, then you could be caught in the same space of just imitating what a Christian should be rather than really cultivating this private prayer life. Jesus is saying that the means and the motives are off when we're simply practicing our faith publicly without developing a personal, private prayer life. What's more, he promises that God will reward it when we do. And I'm gonna come back to that again shortly. Got that one? So that's the first one. How not to pray like a hypocrite. Pray instead in the secret place. Next, he says this. When you pray... Do not keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. And the second part, he's actually, this time he's turning his attention not to the, the first one. Remember, he's talking to the Jewish people that you don't be a hypocrite like the hypocrites. Now he's looking and he's critiquing the culture at large because when he says the word pagan, I know we're like, ooh, that's kind of a, that's kind of a mean word. Like, it didn't mean the same thing then. It just meant like those that were outside the Jewish faith that, that worshiped other gods and had different religions. And so he's saying, don't pray like those people. And now he's actually critiquing the way other people pray outside the Christian faith. And he's saying what they would do is they thought that they could get access to God by their many words. They would babble on and babble on, or they would, they would have to say things in just the perfect way so that if they said it just right, they might actually appease God and he would listen to them. They had to follow all these sets of rules in how they prayed so that they could get the attention of God. What were their means and their motives? Their means was babble. It was ritualistic, repetition. And what was their motive that they were going after? Their motive was that they could get God to listen to them. Like that's what they wanted. They, they approached God as if he was like some puzzle that had to be solved, that if you could just pray just the right way and say the right things in the right order, 
that then God would hear you. Their motive was to try to get God to listen to them. But now Jesus is going to teach them how to pray. So that's how not to pray. Don't pray like the pagans who babble. Their means, lots of words, their motives to try to get God to pay attention to them. But here's how he says to pray in simplicity. Do not be like them, referring again to the pagans. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here Jesus has given them a completely different means and a completely different motive than the pagan culture. The simple means is just to come to God simply. To try to get God's attention that he is a father. You address him as father and he's invited into his presence to talk to him about anything and everything. Because he's your father. And as we just sang so wonderfully, we are a child. We're his children of God. And we can come and just talk to him simply about anything and everything. Now, much could be said about this Lord's Prayer. Um, you could actually do like an entire sermon series if you wanted just on the Lord's Prayer, but we're not gonna walk through just the Lord's Prayer today, but because I want you to see what's really happening here. When Jesus gives this Lord's Prayer, he wasn't, again, making it be something that we're supposed to repeat, and that if we repeat it just the same way, like then we're gonna get to God, because he just said, that's not what I'm talking about. That's how they practice it. No, instead, I give you this prayer as a way to just simply come before God and talk with God like you would a child would to a father. He's drawing a comparison, just like he did in the other example. It's a comparison. Don't pray this way. Pray this way. Not lots of babble, but just simply come to God with your honest words and talk to him in prayer. And more importantly, it's not just the means of prayer that he's addressing here. It's the motive of prayer. Because he's saying, you have a relationship with God. You don't come to God like the, the pagans did that thought that they had to do certain things to earn their favor with God, that their prayers might be heard. And he's saying, you're a child of God and you can come to the Father with anything and everything. Pray that way and make your motive be to be close to your Father. That's your motive. Now try to put this in a, a context too of our cultural moment that we probably don't have, you know, literally think that we can like earn God's favor by praying certain things. I don't think that we do that. Maybe we do, but maybe less so than they did then. But I do think that we kind of sometimes set up little rules around like our prayer life that we think, well, God's, God's going to hear me more if I do this or if I do that. I mean, I've, I've, I've thought before, like a lot of times we make like a rule where we think, well, well, God's got too many big things going on in the world. So he's got bigger fish to fry. So I don't really need to come to him with my prayers because he, he doesn't really hear me because there's just Ukraine and stuff and I just can't pray for my stuff. I've had people literally tell me, like, yeah, I'm really good at praying for others. I, li I like to pray for others, but I, I really don't like praying for myself because I feel like it's kind of selfish, and that, that's kind of a rule that I've set up, you know, that God will hear me as long as I'm focused on, on other people. But here we've got in the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? He says, yeah, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Like, pray these big outward prayers about big things going on in the world, but what else are we w welcome to do as children? Give us this day our daily bread, like, coming to you with just my needs as well because you're a dad that wants to hear from me. Or you think of the rule that I find most common in my life and I would suspect for many of you too that you have a rule that thinks, well, I can't come to God unless I've kind of cleaned up my act a little bit first. Like God really doesn't want to hear, hear from me until you know, maybe I've gone seven days of this or that or seven days without this or that or I just did something yesterday so God definitely doesn't want to hear from me today. Like that's a rule that we set up and we think that God has these rules and we can't really come to him and be heard 
as a child to a father because we've set things up. I think that's really similar to how we do things today, yet still in the Lord's Prayer, what does he tell us to do? In the Lord's Prayer, we're supposed to come to him and say, forgive us our debts and lead me not into temptation like I admit. Forgive me, I've failed. I'm prone to fail. Lead me not into temptation. Like this is the father, this is the way Jesus is trying to teach us to pray as kids. We don't have to do the babbling prayers. We can come to God just like a kid would and speak to him simply. And our motive is not to try to appease him. Our motive is that we can be with a father. Very different. To close, I want to present two reasons why I think Jesus is talking about why to pray. He doesn't necessarily, you know, in, in the actual wording, he's talking about really how to pray and how not to pray. But I think within his reasons of how to pray, there's some things in there that we can learn about why we should pray in the first place. And the first one is this, because God is our reward. God is our reward. He says in verse six, the father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's a great, that's a great reason why to pray, to get the reward of God. And this reward, like Jake talked about last week so well, is just and, and promises reward when we seek him with a right heart and a right mind. He promises that reward. Now, we don't know what those rewards will be like we talked about last week, but we know that he's promised it. These are Jesus' words saying, if you pray like this, this way, like God wants to reward you. I can think of many ways that God rewards us in prayer, and I know at least one is actually the reward of actually seeing answered prayers, right? Like one of the rewards is we actually pray and God does things. He, he answers our prayers. So the things that we pray for ourselves are the things that we pray for others. I like to jokingly define prayer as, the, as um, practicing or participating in the sovereignty of God. Like I, I can't explain to you how prayer exactly works, but one of the things God does is his joy to let us be a part of what he wants to do in the world. And when we pray, we get to actually be a part of it with him. Uh, one theologian once said that God does nothing except an answer to prayer. Anytime he wants to do something, he's going to first motivate someone's heart to pray. He's going to spur someone on to pray because God loves to involve us in his work. And what a reward. How fun is it, you know, to, to pray for the Machados that we met last week and know that when they go to Indonesia and they're there doing their ministry, that we can be right here in this building or right there in the secret place in our home and be praying and knowing that our prayers are effectual. They work. Like we, we get to participate in God's work around the world through prayer. Just this last week, I... Um, had a buddy, I uh, won't say his name, buddy at the, in the neighborhood who uh, reached out. Um, it's actually a friend that I've got to share the gospel with before, and we've had many spiritual conversations over the years, but it's been quite a while since I actually got time with him. I think, I don't think we've seen each other since COVID. Until a couple weeks ago, I saw he and his wife walking down the street, and they said, hey, we got good news. Of what? They said, we're pregnant. So she's pregnant. Real excited for them. Real happy for them. Um, got to minister to him a lot during their, during their early uh, years of their marriage is the reason that he and I would get together. But then this week, he just uh, texted out of the blue. Hadn't, like I said, I hadn't heard from him in quite a while and said, hey, can you pray for us? We've got a complication with, with our pregnancy. We need, we need some prayers. And so Brendan and I prayed for him. And just a few days later, he sent this text. Justin, thanks so much for your prayers. They worked. We got good news. We're okay. We're so worried. And now we're so relieved. Thanks for allowing us to lean on your family and support. I would like to catch up sometime with beers or a baseball game soon. Just... How fun is that? What a reward, like to, to get to participate in God's work in someone's life by, by praying for them. It's incredible. But I also want to be honest to say sometimes our prayers aren't answered, or at least they're not answered yes. Sometimes our prayers are answered no. Sometimes they're answered wait. And when that's the case, we need to know that the reward is not just our answered prayers. The reward is God himself. Like that's the reward. 
That's what's promised to us when we pray, that we get to have a relationship with God, and that's the best reward. In fact, we know that whether you know it or not, what you want most in your life is the presence of God in your life. Whether you know it or not, that's what you want most. And what we get to experience in prayer is the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that is the best reward of all the rewards. We know that when we get to heaven and we're finally in God's presence, it says that we're going to take the rewards that we've been given and we're just going to lay them at Jesus' feet because they don't matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, we're with Jesus. That's what we want. And that is the chief reward. There's another time in Jesus' ministry uh, when, he does, when he shares the Lord's Prayer, so this kind of way of praying in Luke chapter 11. And in that chapter, that, the disciples actually come to him. And they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Like they, they said, teach us. We want to learn how to pray. And so then he teaches them this prayer. But he goes on to tell a couple more parables about prayer, and it ends this way, Luke 11, verse 9. So I, ask you, or so, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and he who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if a son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? Do you see the invitation there? Ask, seek, knock, come to me with anything. Just keep, keep coming, keep praying. But then did you catch what he said at the very end? This good father that's, if your fathers know how to do good, so does the heavenly father know how to do good. And what does he promise? He promised the Holy Spirit. That's the best gift that we can have. He promises his presence to be with us. That's the reward. That's the reward of prayer is that we get to be with God. And so Jesus promised here that if we pray with the right motive, we would get rewarded. And I want to tell you that God is the best reward. Being with God is the best. And given that, I want to ask you to, to continue to seek God. I want to ask you to, to make time to pray, to make time to be with God and seek him, not for the approval of others, not to try to earn his favor and be heard, but simply to come to him and talk simply with him, to set aside a secret place where you can go and spend time with God. I think that we've probably been doing that a little bit more while we've come to the end of this 21-day fast. If you've been doing the devotional with us, following along, we've definitely had times each day to set aside to pray, I just want to challenge you. Reconsider before you end the fast on this day what God might have you continue to do that you were doing during this fast. Like if you felt some of that connection, if you got the reward of actually being with Jesus and, and loved it, well, keep doing it. Like whatever thing you sacrificed, if you sacrificed something, maybe keep sacrificing it. Maybe you're not supposed to add that back. Don't just end the fast here. Let's use this 21 days to spur on more and more time with God in a secret place. I want to invite you to do that. I want to bring up one last point. As I do, I want to invite the ushers to go ahead and get the communion elements. You guys can distribute those while I'm actually sharing this point, so no, no need to wait. Go ahead and distribute them. Because I think there's another reason that Jesus is kind of implicit within this teaching. As he says, another reason why to pray is because God is our Father. We've already hit on that a bit, but I want to share a little bit more. Matthew 6, verse 8. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So why should we pray? Because God's our Father. Like Luke said in the passage before, He's a good Father that gives good gifts. Like Jesus says here on the Sermon on the Mount, He's a good Father who already knows your needs. He invites you to talk to Him about anything and everything because He's our Father. He's why we should pray, because He's our Father. Don't come to God in prayer aiming to earn His acceptance or His approval. Uh, we are already loved and accepted in Christ so we can come as we are. 
and we can approach the throne to be with God because of the grace of Christ that we're going to celebrate right now. One of my favorite scriptures that I like to go to when I'm thinking about going to God, particularly when I have, uh, when I make that one rule of prayer that shouldn't be a rule of prayer, and that rule of prayer that I shouldn't approach God if I feel like I've done something sinful, I always go to these verses in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's grace, or the throne of grace, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we not only have a loving father who welcomes us to come to him as children, we now have a great high priest who's ascended to heaven and lives to intercede for us, who makes a way for us to approach the throne. And what kind of throne is it? It's a throne of grace. It's where we're meant to come to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. Because of what Jesus has done for us as our our high priest, we can come to God at any time, anywhere. Jesus welcomes us to come to him in secret place and to pray simply. If you notice in the Lord's Prayer, uh, (laughs) the pronouns are plural. So yes, Jesus did mean for us to pray things together. He didn't mean we just had to pray secretly all the time, but the pronouns are plural because that's one of the ways that we commune with God together is in prayer. And so as we close and we prepare for communion, I'd like to invite you to pray uh, the Lord's Prayer. I think it'll be on the screen here uh, with me out loud if you'd like. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.